my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. Uh, This week we're taking as our theme, the journey of faith. And today we ask, is faith just a crutch for the weak? What really are the benefits of faith? Uh, Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Welcome aboard, David. Hi, Gary. How are you? And good afternoon, listeners. Uh, It is wonderful to have you back on board again. David, isn't it a fantastic day up there today? It is. Uh, we've had a really good week of weather here in South Australia. Hopefully the rest of the country and up north, uh, northeast, uh, they've, um, the floods have diminished and... I hope those repairs on the east coast are really going well. I really feel sorry for my mates over there on the uh, uh, on the east coast because uh, you know over here we're sitting in a glorious autumn weather day after day, and I, I just my heart just really goes out to our, to our mates over there. Absolutely, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. David, look, tell us something now. Uh, you told us last week you were going to go to Cooper Pedy. Today you've come back from Cooper Pedy. How did it go? Yeah, look, really good. It was a blessing. I went up with my son Emerson um, Thursday evening. Um, it, it's about an 850 kilometre trip north of uh, Adelaide and uh, we have an underground church there and uh, a ministry largely to Indigenous people and it was a real blessing for us to go out and visit um, some of the Indigenous people on Friday afternoon and yeah. And, um, yeah, just listen to them, talk with them, pray with them. And then we had church on Sabbath with them and our, our workers up there, Gary and Coralie, doing a brilliant job. And, um. They're really special people. Anybody who can actually work somewhere in like Cooper Petey, to me, I take my absolute hat off to them. I mean, they do a fantastic job. Yeah, look, and then that's not, um, that's not mince words here. Uh, Cooper Petey's almost in the middle of Australia, almost. It's, it's a yeah. rugged area. It's, it's arid. Uh, you go there if you feel a real call to ministry yeah, and our yeah. people there are doing a brilliant job. One of the blessings that um, we saw as long as well as talking and meeting with people and seeing uh, in our indigenous people, it is really easy to see that that religion and spirituality is there. Yeah. And they really want Jesus, and that's really powerful. Yeah, I, I, I remember doing a number of, of trips up in ministry trips to both uh, to Port Augusta, Cooper Pedy, and also up into really central Australia into into the Fink, Apatula uh, community. And I remember going up there with my own son, and that was very powerful because the thing that really stood out to me was that our indigenous people have got a depth of spirituality that many of the many Caucasian population of my, of my brand um, certainly do struggle with. With to struggle to understand. There is an innate spirituality, isn't there? Yeah, and it's yeah. really beautiful to see. And so we were really blessed, really blessed. Yeah, yeah. And I must say, Gary, um, this time of year you might often find it a bit dry, and it was dry up there, but there was some pools of water along the way. They were few, but it was green, uh, the 100 kilometres or so just before yeah, Cooper Pier. Yeah, yeah. I've been up there when they've actually had the wildflowers out there, and I look at it and I say, hey, wow, I mean, this this really does look uh, something, something very special. But tell me, the school holidays are coming up. What are you doing for the school holidays? Yeah, look, I'm taking some time off with family um, and time with my children and doing some, uh, continuing doing some garden renos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, managed by the wife? 
Um, Hello, Megan. <laughs> no, uh, she'll be doing painting, hopefully. She's a teacher, so she'll be painting and I'll be doing other work. So, uh, yeah. That's good. That's good Good to hear. David, look, let's come to our World Watch segment. Uh, now, you know, to me, this is... Uh, I love looking at the religious press and what is actually happening in the religious world as we speak. You know, there are such huge changes that are actually taking place. I, I stand in awe. I just uh, came, came up with an article that was in uh, one of the religious... Uh, uh, news news magazines. Uh, it's uh, it comes uh, concerning Pastor John MacArthur. And it's his Easter address, and uh, in his Easter address, talking to his church, he said, "It's too late for America. We're under judgment." Now, I'm going to get you to fe- some feedback on this in just a moment. But this is what the article said: Pastor John MacArthur of Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. Uh, he's a well-known author. Recently preached uh, concern a sobering message suggesting that it may be too late for America to be saved because the nation is already under God's judgment. Now, this is a rather controversial thing for any preacher to actually say, uh, but he said it. Uh, The popular preacher and author delivered the sermon too late for grace when a nation rejects God to his congregation on Palm Sunday. Uh, MacArthur's primary text was the parable of the vineyard owner where the vineyard owner allowed tenants uh, to oversee his vineyard while he went to another country. The vineyard owner sent slaves to the um, to, to collect to collect the vineyard's fruit throughout their stay, but the tenants would only build, beat them or kill them. The vineyard owner even sent his son, saying, they'll respect my son. The tenants, however, would kill the owner's son as well. In response to the heinous actions, the vineyard owner said, we will destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. In his message, MacArthur explained that the parable was about judgment, saying that with this parable, Jesus pledges the destruction of Jerusalem and the nation. Vengeance will come, and it must come, and it did, MacArthur said, referring to the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman Empire in 70 AD. The temple was never rebuilt. The priesthood never recovered. He continued, there were no sacrifices, no ceremonies, no Sadducees, no Pharisees, no priests, no chief priests to this very day. The whole system ended. MacArthur also referred to other biblical figures such as the prophet Isaiah and to the apostle Paul who delivered messages of judgment and it was too late for some to be saved, he said. Citing Romans 1 in the New Testament, MacArthur further elaborated on on what looks like for a nation that's come under God's judgment, including America. And he said this, When you see a nation deep in sexual sin, uh, perversely affirming uh, gay marriage and the insanity of reprobate minds, where they make laws to criminalize righteousness and legalize gross evil, you know that a nation is coming under judgment, he asserted. What's our message to this nation? MacArthur asked. You're under judgment, he said. It's too late. Judgment has been unleashed. You can hear, but not understand. You can see, but not perceive. While the nation may be under judgment, he said, It's not too late for God's people. So we warn. So we also offer the grace of the gospel. That's our calling, 
MacArthur said. Now, David, I'm really conscious that in this, this article has stirred up a fair bit of controversy in the, in the religious world as we, as we actually would, would expect. But the thing that I'm really, I'm not so much interested in the, the political overtones of this particular article, but the thing I'm interested in here, David, is this whole theme of judgment. Do you know, one of the things I'm conscious of is that in the religious world today, Judgment is something that is not often spoken about by contemporary preachers. Do you know, is he going too far in speaking about judgment? I mean, does the scripture really talk about this, this thing? Is this something that contemporary preachers ought to be saying more about? Absolutely, Gary. And, and yeah, I think there is a, a deafening silence when it comes to looking at what Scripture says, what the Bible writers spoke about judgment, because it is there, and it is heavily there in the New Testament, and it's there in the Old Testament. I guess just to give a few examples, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the author of Hebrews in verse uh, chapter 9, verse 27 says this, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. Okay. So, the author of Hebrews, this great, incredible book, is is talking about judgment. Second Corinthians five ten, the apostle Paul, for we must all, all of us, he says, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So he is saying we all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, Jesus in Matthew twelve. He says, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Matthew twelve thirty six. So this is the Jesus. First um, Peter four seventeen. The apostle Peter says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So this is the New Testament writers yeah. saying that uh, judgment is is going to happen. Um, two more. Acts 10.42, and he commanded us, this is the Apostle Peter to Cornelius, this mm-hmm. um, uh, God-fearing um, Gentile, Gentile non-Jew. Yeah. And he commanded, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to judge, to be the judge of the living and the dead. So wow. here is Peter preaching the gospel to non-Jews and saying, hey, um, uh, Jesus is ordained to be the judge of both the living and the dead. Couldn't couldn't you respond, however, that in saying these things, you're trying to frighten people into the into the kingdom of God? Yeah, look, and, and I think uh, is it uh, Paul in Timothy talks about that um, people won't endure sound doctrine. They want they will want things that tickle their ears or tickle mm. their fancy, mm. so to speak. They won't want hard, sound truth because it doesn't suit them. And so I think there is a move away in 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 the Western world from preaching what the Word of God says. And we've got to remember that this is uh, a two edged sword, mm-hmm. um, dividing truth and error. So it will bring um, it will bring pain. Uh, it will bring, it will speak strongly, but it is doing so in an emphasis of love to bring people back to God. So the word of God does divide. Okay. It is not just a message of peace and safety and everything will continue as it has continued. So in other words, what we've actually got here is a, uh, is a preacher who, uh, even if you disagree with his theology, some of the, the thing that you do have to agree with is the fact that Scripture does actually speak about this thing called judgment to come. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Paul in Acts 17, and I think this is uh, before Felix, 
Um, Paul says, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So here is Paul saying that uh, God has appointed a day in which uh, Jesus will judge. Why, why do you think contemporary preachers, I mean, contemporary preachers appear to be somewhat reticent to actually mention this particular issue? Probably a whole range of reasons. Uh, we live in a very politically correct uh, world. I mean, guilt and sin are words that are also missing from our pulpits today in Christ- Christendom. Uh, I think uh, some pe- some preachers uh, in churches where they're funded from the offerings given by the congregation, mm-hmm. um, if you preach something that is too strong or hits people too hard, they might hold back in what they And you give. might actually lose your congregation. You might lose your income as a minister. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yet all of the Word of God is inspired, all Scripture. Yeah. Uh, it is yeah. all profitable. Yeah. And there are so many elements like this that we avoid, and yet yeah. it is a, uh, a judgment is coming, and, and the Bible talks about a judgment that is currently also in progress. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to me, David, as I, as I think about it, you know, I mean, I, second, um, second Timothy, uh, of course, this is the, the very last letter that Paul ever writes. He's in prison. This is one of his prison epistles. He goes here to his execution and he writes to the young man, to Timothy, who's going to be carrying on his work. And he's actually talking about how our day. And he says to Timothy this, he says, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. This is not a pretty list. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, uh, traitors, headstrong, haunty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Now, Dave, this this form of godliness is something that really challenges me because the more I look at it, the more I turn around and say the Apostle Paul appears to be saying something that is incredibly powerful here. You know, he goes on and says, from such people turn away, and these individuals, he says in verse 7, are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, David, I, I'm just so conscious that I think our religious world really matches the words of Paul here in Second Timothy. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, you'll see some televangelists on TV that um, are essentially uh, life coaches, if you like. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the power and everything is within. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rather than speaking the plain words of Scripture, which bring life. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for that, David. Really appreciate it. Look, let's come to uh, uh, to uh, to some music. This is Sandra Etterman, a faithful men, a beautiful song.
is Sandra Enterman, Faithful Men. What a voice a Sandra has. Thank you so much for that, Sandra. Really do appreciate it. We've got a free gift for you today. Our free gift for you today is the book Life Without Limits. Now, this book is written by uh, a wonderful author, Clifford Goldstein. I, I love reading Clifford's material. He has always got something that is powerful and challenging and with clear direction. You'll love this particular book, Life Without Limits. It talks about, uh, it starts you on your journey of a more meaningful and exciting life than you ever possibly imagined. Uh, according to Goldstein, death is actually an aberration. It's no more intended for us than crash uh, for a jetliner. Instinctively, most of us know that we're not here by chance, but that we were created for a purpose, that our minds have a goal and an end in mind. But why are we here? Are our lives the result of some uncaring and purposeless forces that will eventually destroy us? Is science correct? Then, so, then someday, either through the big crunch or the big freeze or the some big something, some catastrophic event, every human being is going to be destroyed forever with nothing left for them, not even a memory. But uh, were we? Is there an alternative? Do you know I? The thing I love about the scriptures is that the alternative is really painted in such beautiful language. What Clifford Goldstein does in his book, Life Without Limits, is talks about that alternative. He talks about our God who gives us hope, who gives us clarity, who gives us direction. I love this book. I love the author, um, Clifford Goldstein, Life Without Limits. Look, if you'd like a copy of this of this little book, uh, please text your name, uh, your address, uh, and your phone number uh, to our uh, to our Faith FM studio here. That text number is o four triple eight. 80811. That's 04888 80811. Now that's not a phone number, so, uh, you can't actually ring through, uh, but we can certainly happy to hear from you. Uh, also, if you've got any comments or any questions, any thoughts that you'd like to share, you're most welcome to send them through on that particular number, or if you'd like that book, Life Without Limits, 04888 80811. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, this week uh, we're taking as our theme the journey of faith and today we're asking, is faith just a crutch for the weak? What really are the benefits of faith? You know, David, one of the things I uh, really jump out at me is I was uh, reading an article a little while ago uh, and the number of authors that are quoted that say faith is actually a crutch. Uh, Richard Dawkins believes that religion is a crutch for those who are afraid of blinking out of existence after death. The science fiction uh, author Robert Heelan uh, wrote that religion is a crutch for people not strong enough to stand up to the unknown without help. The former uh, governor of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura, this is a well-known comment, uh, says that religion is a crutch for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. Uh, you know, David, some of these comments that uh, that come to us, certainly from the uh, atheistic and the, the secular perspective, are incredibly uh, challenging. Uh, look, is faith a crutch for the weak? You know, what are the benefits of faith. Help us out. Yeah, look, really important topic this, isn't it? Um, 
does the rubber hit the road? Does the word of God, does Christianity actually aid us? Does it bring something that is going to benefit us in the here and now or just something in the intangible future? Yeah. So let me just share with you a story that I came across on CNN Health. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, written by a lady called Kristen Rogers on uh, June 17 last year. She talks about a a gentleman called Rob who had a lung infection and um, he developed shortness of breath for about four days. He was admitted to an Adventist hospital uh, in Orlando, Florida, and he was diagnosed with um, double pneumonia. The next day he had a COVID test. It came back positive. And uh, on Friday, he was relocated uh, to uh, this Adventist Health in Orlando where he was intubated. You know, here he mm-hmm. is, you know, and we know a lot of people wow. uh, pass away and still are if they're intubated. Um, on March 29 last year, he flatlined three times after mucus blocked his lungs. Wow. And uh, during this time, his wife, Carol, who was a Christian, a faithful Christian for more than 40 years, she turned to God in prayer and was meditating upon Bible scriptures. And uh, she says, I think that it probably encouraged me. It calmed me at moments. I think it centered me back again and reminded me that I was not in charge. So she prayed alone. She prayed with her family, mostly on her knees. Uh, And um, she said, this is important, Gary. She says, the goal wasn't to change God's mind, Carol said. God was in control of this before it happened. Mm -hmm. The purpose was to surrender her own desires and align herself with God to hear whatever he had to say. I know it's a two-way conversation, she said. I really felt the peace of God telling me that I wasn't even supposed to worry about that. So I did not worry. I'm usually a planner, but I knew that God had a plan. Wow. And research has told us, uh, Pew Research, an American um, uh, company that does research, and I know you've referred to them numerous times on this program, said that um, – uh, 55% of United States adults prayed for an end to coronavirus, and that number was higher amongst practicing Christians. And there have been numerous studies that um, uh, on prayer and how it fosters calmness, uh, how it um, brings uh, less anxiety and feelings of isolation. Many, many scientific um, studies in regard to that. But what I'd like to do is share you a few other things that... Um, uh, that science and psychology have have told us about having a connection with and God. And these are formal studies that have occurred. These are formal studies. So uh, the particular document that I'm referring to, it, it lists a number of things. Better heart health. Um, according to Koenig, he was a researcher, Dr. Harold Koenig, um, research has shown that when you engage in a faith practice with God, including regular prayer, you are less likely to have blood pressure issues. He also says that you have, um, particularly in young men, lower cro- lower chronic stress levels because you, because you have lower cortisol levels. If you have high cortisol levels, you have higher anxiety, higher stress, which is not good for heart health. Mm-hmm. Um, there are less depression and suicide occurrences amongst those who regularly practice a religious faith experience. Now, this does not mean to say that uh, those that are of faith do not experience depression or even have suicidal thoughts, and sadly, some people do indeed, uh, suicide. Indeed, yeah. But he says, dating back to the 1960s, 400-plus studies have specifically studied depression and, religi- and religious faith. Of these, 61% show a significant inverse relationship between spirituality and depression. 
and only 6% showed increased depression. What's more, according to a review of 49 studies, 80% reported less suicide. That is that is actually a very, very significant numbers actually there, David, because what it's saying to me is that it appears that a faith or people with a faith belief seem to have, through the studies, better health outcomes than those of no faith. And generally it would appear to be the case, you know, um, across many health uh, factors. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. A couple more. Uh, mental health and hope. About 80% of the research on faith and health is in the area of mental health. And since, and since much of faith practice is internal in mind and spirit, it makes sense that a faith practice would impact mental health the most. More involvement in religious activities, faith and spirituality is correlated with better health Specifically, studies show greater coping with adversity, positive emotions, well-being and happiness, hope and optimism, meaning and pur- purpose, self-esteem and a sense of control. Mm-hmm. There are also, Gary, uh, less uh, lower um, uh, rates of uh, substance abuse and health detrimental behaviours when it comes to people that practice a, a, a Christian faith. Where, where can people get this study from? Just share with us the title of the study, will you? Because people might like to go online and just have a look at this because I know Harold Koenig is actually a very, very uh, well-recognised presenter. And in fact, we, we had him at a, at a conference we actually held here in Adelaide a number of, a number of years ago, and uh, he was certainly regarded at the time as the world authority on this particular area. Gary, you've put me on the spot. Um, I, normally I, I copy and paste the link and I haven't. I'll have to look through my uh, history. Okay, uh, we, will on, actually, uh, we will actually come back to you on that, folks. That's a, a terrible thing for any uh, questioner to yeah. ask, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's an important one. It is an yeah, important yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Dave, please keep on, uh, keep going. So faith, it has um, physical benefits is what you're saying. Does it have more than physical benefits? It does. Um, well, well, one more uh, physical benefit, I think, is, is the connection between prayer and healing. And this has been well documented in numerous studies. Um, uh, studies have shown that people who have uh, been engaging in prayer prior to significant surgeries and have people praying for them through it actually have better health outcomes. And I believe this has actually been done on reverse blind um, studies where people don't actually know that others are actually praying for them, you know. So there's actually some remarkable things that have come out through the studies in this particular area. Absolutely. And and one of the studies I was reading today in regards to this uh, was suggesting that a lot of the studies that have occurred in this area have been around, um, uh, What's the word? It's just left me. Uh, groups of intercessory prayer. Mm. When there are uh, individuals, not just one person praying, but groups of people praying for a person, or when they're praying for each other, there are far better health outcomes. Wow. So prayer has many advantages both to us individually, but also when there is intercessory prayer, people praying for uh, a group of people praying for someone else or us praying for, for other individuals. So in other words, faith does actually give... Um, significant physical uh, benefits. But let's just come to the scriptures. How does faith impact my spiritual life? I mean, what is faith to you? I mean, how do I develop this thing called faith? You know, is it, I mean, there are so many out there that would say, hey, look, you know, this is a, just a crutch for the week. Now, you've answer, certainly gone some way to answering that particular question in what you've just said. Yeah, so look, I'd like to go to Hebrews 11, but not just yet. All right, we could okay. do that very sure, shortly because sure. Hebrews 11. 
11 is that great faith chapter, yep, isn't it? Yep, yep. But I want to pull a few verses from elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, we all know, and we're still living through this uh, COVID-19, although in Australia we've relatively been blessed. Um, I mean, every death is significant, but compared to some parts of the world. The level of anxiousness experienced by, by citizens in countries with lockdowns and loss of jobs and death and all these sorts of things naturally brings a level of anxiousness. Mm. But uh, I believe this is one of the key things as a Christian. Just like that first story I read um, about this uh, gentleman that uh, had COVID-19, he was in an Adventist hospital in Florida. The lady said there the goal of, of, of prayer wasn't to change God's mind, Carol said. God was in control of this before it happened. The purpose was to surrender her own desires and align herself with God to hear whatever he had to say. And that's a really hard thing to do, isn't it? It, it is. And again, this is revolves around faith, doesn't it? Essentially, uh, during something like we're in pandemics, we begin to realize that all the institutions, everything we've been told, how everything's under control, we're in a developed nation, uh, those truths, those things we hold, have held dear to begin to crumble and crack. Mm, we get mm. to see there as cracks. Mm. And so people with faith, yes, there is still can be anxiousness. Yes, there still can be worry. But generally, I think we don't need to worry about the future. And I think some beautiful texts um, in Philippians 4 verse 6, uh, and I'm just going to pull that one up. Uh, Philippians 4 6 is uh, a really powerful verse here. Um, in fact, a, a couple of verses in this chapter, um, the Apostle Paul, we know he's in prison and um, uh, there is imminent death. And he suspects that will also occur if you read some of his writings. Philippians 4, 6, he says, be anxious for nothing. Now, that's tough, isn't it? That is. That, be anxious and, for nothing. And particularly when you think of the context, you've just mentioned uh, he's actually in prison and in an ancient Roman prison. We're talking a dungeon here, not the... Uh, Type of prisons that we're actually talking no about TV, today. There's no, no television. This is he's probably sitting in stocks. And what does he say? He says, "Don't be anxious about anything. Be anxious for nothing." He says, "But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God." So he says, "Hey, don't be anxious for anything, but instead take everything to God in prayer. Uh, put your requests before Him. Do it with thanks. Uh, tell God what's on your heart." And then he says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So yeah. we can be in a traumatic experience. We can be in the midst of COVID. We can be experiencing the trauma of, of losing income or losing a job or, or even a loved one in hospital. Yeah. And yeah. we're still human beings as Christians. Yeah. But he says that we can, by taking it to God, we can have the peace of God. Yeah. Uh, and then later on, he says in verse 9, he says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. We live in a world that has trouble. And yet uh, Paul is saying, even though he's in a terrible situation, he says, I can uh, have hope, I can have faith, I can rejoice, I cannot stress. Why? Because I have the peace of God because it comes from the God of peace. And the reality is is that Christians are actually impacted by these things as much as 
anybody in the in the big wide world because i'm conscious that there is a a theology out there that says you know it's called the, the health wealth gospel that you know if you come to jesus christ you're going to be uh, strong you're going to be healthy you're going to be wealthy that's what god wants to give you uh, that's what's going to happen to you but uh, david is that your understanding Absolutely not. Um, God promises to be with us in trials, yeah. but not to um, necessarily spare us from trials. And Scripture is is full of stories where God's people endured suffering. I mean, yeah. when we go to Hebrews, it talks about that, doesn't it? Hebrews 11. So I, I believe one of the key things here is when we're a Christian, First Peter 5, 7, we can cast all our cares upon him because we know he cares for us. So some people in society today, in fact, more and more, we are so much better connected technologically wise, but we have more loneliness than ever. Mm. So even mm. an individual that doesn't have a, a life partner, a spouse, or, or has lost loved ones, uh, that may normally experience loneliness, and we still do experience loneliness, can have a connection with a higher being, a higher power. Not and just that individual can actually have this thing called peace. Absolutely. And that, to me, is the most incredible thing because, to me, I've seen people who have been approaching death, yet they've been able to approach death with incredible peace. Uh, you know, there, there is something about the, the claiming the promises of God. You know, when we get to, and I do want to come to Hebrews 11 yeah. because I'm conscious our time is starting to run away from us. But one of the most beautiful things to me about Hebrews 11 is what you actually have there is a God who talks about all the heroes of faith walking by faith, but the way they did it was they actually claimed the promises of God and they relied on a stronger arm than, them, than themselves to me this is just so important which gives us this overall context. I mean, life is not going to go on as normal. It's going to get worse and worse. Scripture yeah. tells us that. But we can walk this journey not having to know the future, but knowing him who knows the future. And who is in control of the future. Exactly. Yeah. So whereas uh, uh, often we can be control freaks in this life, trying to control everything, we don't have to worry about that when we know that there is a God who is in control. Mm-hmm. David, look, can we go to Hebrews 11 because I'm conscious that our time is starting to uh, to run away uh, from us and I do want us to get to, to this particular uh, chapter. Uh, so, David, what's the thing that stands out to you in Hebrews 11? And listeners, please, if you're struggling with this issue of faith, please go to Hebrews chapter 11 and just read it through. There's a powerful message in this particular chapter. So, look, the apostle here, the, the author of Hebrews, is writing to a group of of um Jewish, uh, sorry, writing to a group of Christians that are now being marginalized by Jews. And um, they're a fledgling faith. They don't have a temple. They don't have a priest. They don't have any of these things, earthly sanctuary. And, and the author is saying, hey, there, you have so much more. Mm-hmm. And so in Hebrews 11, he is trying to lift them and give examples from Scripture of of what faith is and exemplars of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, Gary, and let's look at verses 1 and 2. Um would you like to read? Have you got that there, yeah, Gary? Would yeah, you like yeah, to read yeah, verses to. One two? Uh, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things that were seen that have not been, have not been made by the things which are uh, visible. So this is really powerful. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what we have here, Gary, in this first verse, faith is the substance. The word substance comes from a Greek word, hypostasis, and it basically means a title deed. The mm. title deed was a legal document in the ancient world um, by which a person proved their ownership of the property. 
Okay. The documents were not the property, uh, but they provided evidence of its, of its existence. So faith is therefore the evidence of that which we actually will receive in the future. Absolutely. Now, I can have title deeds to a property or a house on me. They're not the house, mm. but they give me certainty. They're a guarantee that it is my property. They are my legal right to that property. Absolutely. Yeah. So faith enables us to have that certainty, that authority mm. uh, and evidence. Um, faith is not built upon uncertainties. It's not just a blind leap of faith. There is, yeah. I don't think biblically that exists, uh, yeah. a blind leap of faith. It's a living faith because Jesus is our title deed. The Holy Spirit is, is our down payment, if you like, our deposit on, on eternity. Mm. So God has given himself. Uh, just a few examples here. In Hebrews chapter 11... Uh, we come across the two words by faith 18 times in chapter 11. Wow. By wow. faith. Wow. By faith, by faith. And uh, Gary, you might want to pull out some more, but um, let's look at um, maybe verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So here is Noah, and we read in Genesis um, 6, I think it is, through to, through to chapter 11, where um, all the world was full of wickedness. Everyone was wicked. Uh, their thoughts continually were wicked, but here is this man of faith. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Noah had never seen a boat before. He'd never seen an ocean before, we believe. He'd never probably seen rain before. It was the Jew uh, that, that watered the earth and, and kept things alive, and yet God tells him to bring, build this great big Ark, yeah. yeah. In other words, on dry land. Uh, you know, to me, that is so powerful because what we've got is the God of heaven um, sharing with Noah, Noah responding in faith, doing something that God has requested of him, and then God comes and acts and saves Noah. So it's actually uh, God and Noah are actually a a team here. This is right. And I think this will add later on to what we're going to say. When we journey with God and, and put our trust or our faith in him, then that actually grows us spiritually. Yeah. Let's look at another example here. Um, verse 8 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now just let's stop there. If uh, God came to you in a night vision, Gary, or, or you woke up and you spoke to your wife the next morning, God's told me we're going to leave here, what would be the first thing your wife would say? Oh, come or on. Or any wife. This is where my house is. Yeah, that's true. And another thing they would say, well, where are we going? Where are we going? And so Adam, uh, sorry, Abram would have had to have turned to his wife, Sarai, uh, when she asked that question. Presumably she didn't. He'd have to say, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where we're going, but we're leaving. We're leaving. And verse 9 says, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So they're living on a promise. But remember, this is a certainty. This is a title deed. It is a guarantee. And David, these are Old Testament characters. That's the thing that absolutely staggers me here. You know, sometimes I hear that, you know, oh, in the Old Testament, people were saved by works. No, what we've actually got here in the New Testament, we've got the author of Hebrews turning around and saying, hey, uh, even in the Old Testament, you've got this huge list. You've got Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and you've got Moses and you've God, you know, Abraham, you know, this list just goes on and goes on. They're all Old Testament characters, but the a writer says, hey, these men, these women, these people 
all walked by faith. Absolutely. And verse 10 with Abraham says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker was God. So here is Abraham who lived in a built-up city. He leaves not knowing where he's going, just trusting in God um, to a place that God would show him. Uh, he lives in tents. He's left the permanent for the impermanent. But with eyes of faith... He can see a city whose, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So, um, that, he's living in tents, temporary, but he can see through the eyes of faith something that has foundations, which denotes permanency. So, faith enables us to look beyond the temporary, which is this world, to the permanent, which is the world to come. Faith enables us to look beyond the visible, what's immediately in front of us, like all these people like Noah, and see who see him who is invisible. Faith enables us to look beyond what is tangibly real, the here and now, to what is the really real. And and this is such a beautiful thought because what it means is that the world that we're living in, which is such a we're here for such a short period of time, uh, that that is just incredibly transitory. It's something that is not permanent. We're only preparing in this life for a a future life. When in the book of Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth in which dwells righteousness, the time is going to come when uh, this earth is going to be remade. I love what uh, the Apostle John actually does share. Absolutely. And verse 13 of Hebrews 11 just uh, hits on what you've just said. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. So notice they died without receiving the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Mm, yeah. And that is that is so true, so it, David. F- Sorry, Gary. Yeah. David, I'm... Let's come to some some music because there's a song that we've got here, Christian Badal, Find Us Faithful, that fits so well with what we've actually been saying. Let's come to some music. We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road And those who've gone before us line the way Cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize But as those who've gone before us Let us leave to those behind us The heritage of faithfulness Passed on through godly Come 
behind us, find us faithful. After all, our hopes and dreams have come and gone, and our children sit through all we've left behind. May the clues that they discover, and the memories they uncover, become the light that leads them to the road we each must Christian Badal, find us faithful. What a prayer uh, to uh, to include in our program today. Look, our free gift for you once again is the book uh, Life Without Limits. This is uh, this has powerful truths for your journey to hope and meaning. Uh, this really does talk about the practical outcome of faith. It's written by Clifford Goldstein. Clif- Clifford Goldstein comes from a Jewish heritage, and uh, he writes with power and passion. Uh, you'll love Clifford Goldstein if you'd like the book uh, Life Without Limits uh, please just text us here at the studio that's your name, uh, your address, your phone number uh, and also just the title of the book uh, Life Without Limits so we know what book you're actually referring to and uh, just text that to uh, our number here, our studio number 04888 80811. That number again is 04888 80811. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. This week we're taking as our theme, The Journey of Faith 
And today we ask, is faith just a crutch for the weak? Now, David, look, we just need to wrap up this this uh, Hebrews 11. We were chatting about it yesterday, again today. But one of the parts of Hebrews 11 that troubles me a little bit, you get all these heroes of faith who did such marvellous things, much wonderful things. They claim the promises of God. In fact, in verse 32 it goes on, and this is what it says. What more shall I say? For time would fail me of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, the prophets. He just gets faster and faster and faster who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. You know, this sounds just so positive, the walk of faith. But then he switches, and this is what he says. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in devs, in dens and the caves. David, this doesn't, I mean, how do we deal with this? Because here we've got mighty victories being won through faith, but at the other end of the equation you've got people who went to their deaths uh, i certainly think through persecution and there's huge amounts of persecution even today and i think what you've read as well gary not only it's these aren't natural deaths they've got they've uh, experienced death because of their faith yeah so the argument and i think the opening question is faith just a crutch for the weak Mm. clearly these men and these women to Some of them had the option of denouncing their faith or enduring with their faith or their belief in God to continue to choose God in spite of persecution or or hardship or death is not a crutch for the weak. They've made an internal conscious decision that their faith in spite of death or hardship will, will be immovable. In, in fact, you could almost say that a person who has gone through these trials actually ha- must have even stronger faith than those who have won the mighty victories, if that is actually possible. I, I, look, I would agree 100%. Um, we are told in Romans ten seventeen. so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So our faith is increased as we hear God's words. Our faith is also increased, Gary, when we actually apply God's words to our lives and we act upon the words of God. So all of these people here that you read about that they experienced scourgings and mockings and imprisonments and were sawn into and slain, etc., they actually put their belief or their faith into actual practice. And when we do that, uh, we're not just talking theory, our faith becomes a practical reality. Just like uh, Abram could have said, I believe, God, that uh, you have a promised land or you've got somewhere for me to go, but I'm just mm. going to sit back here. No. Yeah. His faith grew stronger as he stepped out in faith, and not just blind faith, but he had that guarantee of a title deed. Okay. In, in fact, that actually brings me to what is actually, I think, our, one of our final questions. You know, how does this issue of faith grow? I mean, you've talked about stepping out in faith, but, you know, is faith a, well, firstly, is it a one-off decision? And secondly, how does faith actually grow? Yeah, great question. Um, I believe that faith is uh, not so much an act of decision, but rather, rather it's a way of life. It's not a once-off. 
Okay. It's a continual experience because Abraham is a man of great faith, but you look at his life. He stuffed yeah. up. He messed yeah. up. He showed periods where um, he didn't exhibit faith. Yeah. Um, so faith is a way of life. It's a constant, a constancy. It's continuing, uh, moment by moment. As I read the text, Gary, our faith increases as we spend time in the Word of God. Our faith increases as we pray. Our faith increases as we then step out and apply the Word of uh, the Word of God. And I'm not sure, Gary, if you would like me to to quickly look at um, Hebrews 12 or not. Uh, Hebrews 12 um, is a continuation of chapter 11. Uh, the apostle says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all of these heroes from mm-hmm. the Old Testament, he says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before for him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the author here says, well, don't just look backwards. We need to look forward at Christ. Yeah. And life, he says, uh, is is a race. It's an, an endurance. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, I think verse 27, talks about the race that is set before us. So faith is not a one-off event. Okay. It's a moment-by-moment experience. And that kills this whole once saved, always saved. You know, I've had faith once, therefore I'm, I'm set with God. What we're actually talking about here is that faith being an ongoing daily experience with claiming the promises of God and relying on his arm for getting me through the week. We are sinners, right? We are sinners. Uh, And and as sinners, we trust in self, we have selfishness, we have sin. So faith is that... Um, that choosing, like that first opening story, this lady who realized that she's not in control but had the peace to know that God is in control. So faith is a moment-by-moment experience of handing things over to God yeah. and learning by that. When we when we see God's hand yeah. through an action, that gives us greater faith to experience more trials as they come. David, let me pray for our listeners. Father in heaven, Lord, I come to you right now. Lord, I just want to say thank you uh, for what you have given us. Lord, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, thank you for sending us Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for giving us the scriptures. Uh, Lord, I I just pray that you'd be with any of our listeners right now who might be struggling with this issue of faith. Lord, they might be dealing with relationships. Uh, Lord, they might be dealing with some health issues, some financial matter, some employment matter. Uh, Lord, I just want to pray for that person right now. I pray that indeed uh, you might respond to them, that you might uh, touch their life. Lord, that indeed they might know what it means to walk by faith. Lord, I pray that you might give them that incredible peace that only your spirit can give. Lord, these things we just ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time, PQ&A. Please join us tomorrow when uh, Pastor Fabiano and Helen Gray spend the entire time looking at the question, what did Jesus uh, teach about faith? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. Please enjoy Eddie Espinona, Change My Heart, O God. Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. 